Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. How we doing, friends? So good to be with you this Sunday. Excited to be diving into God's Word again with you this week. And we are continuing in our series through the book. We are continuing in our journey through the book of Genesis. And as I mentioned at the very beginning of this series, I said, okay, we're not going to hit every story or every topic in the, the entire book of Genesis. It's a big one. There's a whole lot. And so we're fast forwarding through a few chapters and we're picking up this week, leaving the Garden of Eden, chapters one through three last week, looking at chapter four, the story of Cain and Abel and that whole idea of slaying the dragons. If you missed that one, you can check it online uh, on our YouTube page. But this week, we are fast-forwarding to chapter, really the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, where we are introduced to one of the central figures of the entire Bible, but especially of the book of Genesis and the Old Testament, a man by the name of Abraham. Maybe you've heard of him, right? If you grew up in church, you probably grew up in Sunday school singing a song, Father Abraham. Few of you grew up in church, okay. The rest of you are like, huh? That song is awful. Like, who made that up? Um, but he really is, in many ways, the father of our faith. And I'll never forget this. It, it struck me the very first time um, I went to Israel and I got to tour the old city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, the old city, has been divided up into four quarters by the government of Israel. And so one quarter of the city is Jewish, one quarter is Armenian, one is Muslim, and then the other quarter is Christian. And it's wild as you walk through the different quarters of the old city, each uh, you know, different section of the city has a very distinctive feel and culture to it. It's, you know, it's like going from one nation to the next, like one block over. It's unbelievable. And as I was touring the old city, what our tour guide said and what struck me in that moment was that these four distinct movements, religions, all of them have one thing in common. They trace their faith back to Abraham. It's wild. You literally cannot understand world history or the civilization of humanity without understanding who Abraham was and what he was about. Three of the major world religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, all look back to Abraham as an important figure or a founder of their faith. That's the majority of the world's population. It's unbelievable to think of the impact of this man's life. And, and you'll see in the, the passage we're about to read, um, he's referred to as Abram because God hasn't changed his name yet to Abraham. Uh, they sound similar. I think you'll be able to catch it as we go. Uh, Abram just means father in Hebrew, and Abraham means big or amplified or father of many. And so really, if you get down into just the, the nitty-gritty of the Hebrew, the real literal translation is big daddy. Let's go. That's what we're getting into today. So we're going to start now by looking at Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 29. If you have a Bible, you can read along. It'll be on the side screens. And here's what God's 
word says. And this is a longer passage, but it's important for us to hear all of it. Here's what it says. Abram's wife was Sarah, but Sarah was was unable to become pregnant and had no children. She was barren. Verse 31, one day, Terah took his son, Abram. So Terah was Abraham's father. His daughter-in-law, Sarah, his son, Abram's wife, and his grandson, Lot, his son, Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, the promised land. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Morah, and at that time the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. One of the things that we learn from this text is that God is committed to his promises. You see, what we missed in the last several chapters that we just fast forwarded over, not that they're not important, just that we can't hit all of them, was essentially this, from Genesis 4, east of Eden, all the way up through chapter 11, what you see is a downward spiral of humanity. More violence, more division, more anger, more murder, more rage, nation rising against nation. You see all these things happening as mankind turned away from God, moved away from God, and tried to do life apart from God. You see a downward spiral of humanity and it, and it comes down, down, down to this moment to where God steps in and calls Abraham. He calls this man Abram to follow him to the promised land. He says, look, I'm gonna do something amazing through you, Abram. I made a promise many years before to your forefathers, to Adam and Eve, that one day, the curse of sin and death that began when everyone turned away from me, one day I would crush the head of the serpent through one of the descendants of the woman. We learned last week, that's Jesus. One day I'm coming to reverse the curse of sin and death and all of its effects on humanity. And Abram, essentially, you're the next link in that chain. You're the the next link in that chain of promise, Abram. So I need you to come and follow me. If you think about the life of Abraham, you know, by today's standards, looking back through history, I mean, it's an amazing life. You could think of it like this. 
Life didn't happen to Abraham. Abraham happened to life. That guy followed the call of God. God said, I'm gonna make you the father of a great nation, and it happened. He stepped out in faith. He went to a place he had never been before. He went to a land that he was unfamiliar with. He was a man, some might say, of vision, of greatness. And the question is this, if we had Abraham here today and said, how'd you do it? How did you trust God on that level? How did you become who you were as the father of the faith? I think Abraham would say to all of us, well, it wasn't because I was the bravest. We find that out pretty quickly. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. He had a lot of issues. There was nothing particularly amazing or special about Abraham, except God called him. What made Abraham great was not Abraham. It was his obedience to God's call. <laughs> Excuse me. Friends, ultimately in your life, it is not about what God has blessed you with in terms of personality or smarts or giftedness or social network or connections. The most important thing about your life is the call of God over your life and your willingness by faith to follow him, to hear his voice and to follow him and the future and the reality that he's calling you into will literally materialize as you step in the direction of his voice, not knowing where you're going. So today we're gonna ask the question, we're gonna, we're gonna look at this because we need to learn what it means to live in the call of God. And so the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is Living in the Call of God. If God is calling, and he's still calling, he's still calling the world through his son, Jesus Christ. He's still speaking. The ultimate call is the first call to salvation by putting your faith in Christ. That's the initial call of God the Father to everyone. Come, find forgiveness, find grace, find healing, find new life through Jesus. That's the first call. But moving from that place, how do we live the rest of our lives in the call of God? How do we discern the call of God? How do we hear it? Reminds me of one of my least favorite games as a child growing up. Hated this game. Maybe you played this game at the pool with your friends. Marco Polo. Here's why I hated the game. No one played by the rules, am I right? No one played by the rules, everyone cheated. Right, if you were Marco and you were crying out, Marco, and they had to say Polo, you know, all the people, you're having to use your sonar powers of hearing, which that's not how humans work. We work with sight, not sound. And so Marco, and then everyone's yelling Polo, and then you sort of latch on to one voice. You start saying it, Marco, 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 and they're supposed to say Polo, 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 but as soon as you get like within grasping distance of them, they go radio silent. And everyone else is like, Polo, Polo, Polo. And you're all confused. You're like, where'd that person go? And so you cheat too. You open your eyes. You're like, oh, there you are. I got you. I'm out. You're it now. So infuriating. Dumb game. But it's kind of like, as I thought about in my own journey of following Jesus, of trying to discern God's call, 
God's will. There are so many times in my life where I'm like, Marco! Marco! Marco, Lord, where are you? I can't, I can't reach you. I can't feel you. What am I supposed to do, right? Many of us have, have situations we're in right now, and it's not like we're deciding between good and evil, right and wrong. It's not like we're, we're deciding between sin and, you know, obedience to God. We're trying to figure out, who do I marry? Marco. What job do I take, Lord? Marco. Lord, you know, do we move out of California or stay here? Marco. Lord, what do I do in all of the nuances of my real life and raising my kids and navigating the ups and downs of marriage and navigating all of the nuances of what it means to be human? How do I live in the call of God here and now? What does that look like? How do I... Become like Abraham, living by faith and stepping into the fullness of what you called him to. I think there's three things that we learned from this passage that we're going to look at as we dive into it. Number one, living in God's calling, understanding the call of God over our lives. There are three things that we find. Number one, God calls us out. There are certain things that God is going to call you out of if you're gonna step into what God has for you. So he begins by calling us out of certain things or out of a certain place or out of something, and then he calls us into something. See, with Abraham, he called him out of Haran, out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He called him out of some things, but he called him into blessing so that he would become a blessing. And our culture has so misappropriated the word blessing, hashtag blessed. You know, we're posting photos of all the material possessions, hashtag blessed. And not to say that material things are inherently evil, but what God is talking about here through the life of Abram and the journey of Abraham is that the true blessing of God is actually connected to the reversal of the curse because the opposite of a curse is a blessing. It's the opposite of what happened through sin and death. We're going to get into that in a minute. God is calling us into blessing and to be a blessing. And then number three, we have to remember the call of God always provides what it promises. Even when you step out in faith and you're not sure if the provision is going to be there. You're not sure if there's going to be something to stand on when you step out. The call of God, where God calls you, he always provides what he promises to sustain you through it. So looking at this first part, Genesis 12, verse 1 and 2. That's what the Lord says. The Lord had said to Abram, number one, the call of God, get out of your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. So the first part of the call of God, living in the call of God, is listening and obeying when God calls you out of somewhere, out of something. 
And here's what you have to know right off the bat. I'll put all my cards on the table. This part is uncomfortable. Friends, I think one of the biggest enemies of the call of God in your life and mine is comfort. Lord, I'm really comfortable here. It's really comfortable to be in my, my native country. This is where I'm familiar. This is, I know this place, right? I'm around the people that I know and love and they love me. It's very comfortable here, Lord. I'm very accustomed to this, right? And besides, you know, I've got the covering of my father. We've got the family connections. I think I'm just gonna stay here. It'd make a lot more sense to stay here. And so often, we never experience the blessing of God. We never encounter God. We never actually step into what God is calling us into because we'd rather be comfortable. We never get to experience God showing up in someone else's life because sometimes it's just too awkward to start the conversation about faith. Sometimes it's too awkward to say, can I pray for you? I believe in a God who can intervene in your situation. I know maybe you don't believe the way I do, but would you mind trying prayer with me? That's a little awkward, it's uncomfortable, but then we never get to see God do something amazing. To be honest, sometimes we never even begin to give towards the mission of God because it's uncomfortable, and we never get to watch God provide we never get to watch him make good on his promise to provide for us as a father. Sometimes we stay stuck in sin because it's too uncomfortable or scary to confess or open up to someone else. And we never get to watch God bring healing and freedom through our honesty. Comfort is the enemy of God's call in your life. There are some things, if you paused and thought about it, that you know God is calling you out of. He's saying, look, the blessing is on the other side. The reality of watching me do something in your life, the level at which you actually watch God work in your life is the level to which you step out. Stepping out of the boat, stepping out of the comfort zone. You cannot wait until you're ready. God wasn't like, all right, uh, Abram, I need you to get all your stuff ready and then you can come. I need you to like clean up your act, then come follow me. I know you're worshiping like the moon god in Babylon, but uh, you know, stop that first, then come follow me. No, he just said, come out right now, let's go, as you are. Pack up, start to walk. There's a true surrender in trusting God that his will is best. His will brings provision, following him even into the uncertain places of your life, the scary places of your life. As long as in your heart, you're saying, Lord, I am doing my best to understand and follow your will as I see it and know it in this moment. You will begin to watch God show up and provide and bring untold blessing into your life. But first, you have to get out of your comfort zone and... Isn't this just how life works? If your main focus and intention in life is to be comfortable, I promise you, you're not gonna be much of a blessing to anyone. 
If that's your goal in life, is to insulate your life with comfort and all your amenities, you're not gonna be a blessing to anyone and you're gonna stay stuck exactly where you are. God grows us, he shapes us, he forms us when we get out of comfort and into uncomfort, discomfort, faith. Here's the second thing that we learn. We gotta go back to the, the previous chapter for this. Sorry, I'm not gonna tell that story, I don't have time. <laughs> Genesis 11, this is important, more important than the ski story. Um, Terah, who is Abram's father, he moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. That's where he was going. It's Abram's, Abraham's father. But they stopped at Haran, and they settled. They stopped, and they settled. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Now, I want you to see a map of this, okay? Abraham's father left Ur of the Chaldeans, which later became all a part of Babylon. And he headed out ultimately towards Canaan, and he got all the way to Haran. But if you noticed, Haran is surrounded by a fertile crescent by rivers, lots of water sources, an easy spot. If you're a nomadic, you know, shepherding culture, you want to find a place that has water and provision, a comfortable place to settle down. And he stopped. And right there in the midst of that comfort zone, God shows up and says, Abraham, keep going. I need you to get to the promised land. This is Canaan. That is where I need you to be. That's where the promise is going to be fulfilled. That's where I'm eventually one day going to send Messiah who saves the world. His name will be Jesus. You don't know anything about that, Abram. Just trust me. Take the next step. Don't stop halfway. Don't stop where your father stopped. Don't stop generationally what I want to break off of your life. Keep going, Abraham. Maybe your family stopped there. Maybe, you know, your father stopped there. Maybe all the comforts of life and all your connections are there, but I need you, Abraham, to come out and keep going. Y'all connecting the dots? Our comfort zone, even the generational comfort zones that are passed on to us from our families, there are times where God says, come out of that. I've got a new inheritance for you. Keep going. The call of God does not stop halfway. There are things you're called out of, and there are things that we are called into. Things that we're called out of and things that we're called into. Moving on to verse three of chapter 12. It says this to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In you all, the families on earth will be blessed. Abraham, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. I'm choosing new 
choosing you not just because you're awesome and special and smart and courageous. No, actually, I made a promise to crush the head of the serpent back in Genesis 3. I need to overturn sin and death in my good creation. You're the next link in that chain. And so I'm gonna bless you in order that all the families of the earth, all the nations, I love the whole world, in order that they may receive your blessing, Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great for that reason. I'm choosing you out of all the nations, not because you're awesome. You are awesome, Abraham. I like you a lot. I love you. You're one of my sons, and, but I love all the nations. So you're part of the plan to redeem the whole thing. We think of this idea of blessing and what we have to understand is that when the curse was unleashed on the world, when we turned away from God, when we chose to listen to the voice of the serpent, the deceiver, we were cut off from the source of life. The true reality of what it means to live a blessed life is to be connected to the source of life, the source of blessing, which is God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. As you receive the blessing of God through Jesus, you begin to overcome the effects and the reality of the curse on your life. You begin to find the power to overcome uh, habitual and besetting sins in your life. You begin to walk in the freedom and the joy and peace that God has called you into. In Deuteronomy, there's this powerful section about blessing and curses. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, listen closely to what God's word says. It says, today I've given you the choice. God is giving you and I a choice, and this isn't just for these people thousands of years ago, it's for us today. Today I'm giving you the choice between life and death, between blessings and and curses. It's your choice. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. What will you do? What will you decide? Blessing or curse? Life or death? And here's the heart of God for you today. Oh, that you would choose life. He says, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live not just you, Abraham, but your descendants might live through the blessing of your life. There are battles that you're going to fight. There are dragons you're called to slay that will bring generational blessings to your family, to your kids, kids, kids. And if we don't fight them, then we pass on the opposite of blessing. You can make this choice. This is what verse 20 says. You can make this choice. Lord, how do I make that choice? What does it look like to choose life instead of death? Here's what it is. Verse 20, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God. Do you love him? Do you love Christ? Obeying him and committing yourself wholly to him. Loving Jesus, following Jesus, and committing your way to Jesus. That is what leads to a life filled with blessing. That's what leads to life, period. It's a way into life, loving Jesus. It's not enough to believe in him. Do you love him? 
when you think of the cross and what he's done for you, when you think of the love that God has for you, is it just sort of this intellectual exercise or is there something in your soul that says, thank you, I love you? That's the beginning of life. And from that place of thank you, Jesus, I love you, let me follow you, let me follow your word. That's the path of life. And as you stumble your way along that path and grow and learn, you, you say, Lord, I want to fully surrender my life to you. That's the ongoing process of living real life that takes the rest of your life. That makes sense? It's a lot of life in there. But it all starts with loving Jesus, obeying him, and following him. Friends, we are the call of God. To live in the call of God means you will be called out of certain things. And you'll be called into a life of loving God, of daily choosing life over death, blessing over curses. And God is saying, at the end of the day, I, I want to bless you that you would be a blessing. At our men's group on Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of Romans. We got to Romans 8 this past week. And uh, just a quick shout out, we're taking two weeks off the next two Wednesdays are off, then we're kicking it up again on March 22nd. If you're a guy in this room and you want to join us, it's right out there in the connection point. Wednesday nights, 6.30, jump in with us. But um, that's right. Let's go, man. Um, this was something that we came up with as we were talking just about Romans 8. Um, and a, a lot of us, many of you probably in the room, grew up with a Catholic background. And... Maybe you experienced this, maybe not, but if you knew you had done something wrong, if you had sinned in some way and you decided to go to the priest and confess, okay, I gotta go fess up. At least this guy's, you know, bound by law or something to be confidential. Hopefully it's a safe spot. I'm gonna go tell him about it. And then he would respond with some version of, okay, you know, thank you, my son or my daughter for confessing your sin and uh, now go pray five Hail Marys, go do eight good deeds, and you're good. Some version of that, right? Wrong, no, it's not how the gospel works. <laughs> okay, let me, let me just clarify. When you stand before Jesus at the gates of heaven one day, he's not gonna say, okay, did you pray all your prayers and do all your good stuff that the priest asked you to do in order to get into heaven? No, the only question is going to be on that day, are you in Christ? By faith, did you receive the provision I gave you, my son, myself, in the form of my son, dying on a cross for your sins? Did you fully love him, trust him, and obey him? And I know your obedience was weak, it wasn't perfect, but was your faith and trust fully in him? Were you in Christ? If so... Live your life outward from that place. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. There's not a list of to-dos over here. You know, one, two, three, dot, 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 forever. It's, are you in Christ? Yes, by faith, I believe in him. My life is now, his life is now mine. Great, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. It's not a prescriptive list. We, as humans, love lists. Give me the rules. I can follow the rules and then I'm good with God. No. What we need is grace because we break the rules a lot. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. I don't know about y'all. But it, 
We need to live from the place of grace and forgiveness in Christ and move outward from there. That's what it means to live in the call of God. Are you in him? Are you in Christ? Are you living your life from there? That's where not only you receive the blessing, but you become a blessing. And God, this struck me as I was thinking about it. God will often call you to go somewhere you've never gone before, to do something you've never done before, and to become someone you've never been before. Living in the call of God is going to take you out of your comfort zone and actually going to fully transform you. How can I say that? How do I know that? Well, think about your salvation. You were dead. The call, you heard the call of God and salvation, and then you went to life. You're a new person. I don't feel new. I feel like I've got a whole bunch of things still going on. Feels like the old dead Jonathan is still pretty much alive. Yeah, now you're in a process called sanctification where you become more and more like Jesus the rest of your life. But God calls you to become someone entirely new by raising you by faith from death to life. And now the old selfish Jonathan that wanted the whole world just revolving around him Suddenly, I'm doing new things. The call of God is transforming me. Suddenly, it's not about me. It's about others. Suddenly, it's not about my kingdom. It's about his kingdom. God is calling me to be someone new and to do new things, to live life in a different way. And yes, he might call you into new seasons. He may call you into different situations, but often, he's going to change you right where you are. And you're going to become someone new right there in that marriage, in that family, at that workplace, at that school, at that situation. You're going to become someone new. And you might think, Lord, how does this work? How do I know that? And when's it going to happen? Because it feels like it's taking too long. The dead me still feels very much alive. Well, here's what we do know. Not only does he call us out and call us into blessing, he provides, the call of God provides what it promises. Lord, I'm trusting you again. I'm stepping out again. I'm believing again. You're gonna change me over time by God's grace. You're gonna give me the strength to walk through this again and again and again. And I wanna close with this. The keys can come out with this. The thing that I noticed as I was just reading this entire passage, starting in chapter 11, really just reading from Genesis 4 all the way through Genesis 12, is this this downward spiral of hopelessness. I mean, if you think about it, the reality of God's promise continuing, the reality of salvation continuing forward was utterly impossible by human means alone. I mean, if you think of the promise of God as like a candle in a dark world or maybe in a cave system and it's your only source of light and you're guarding this candle, trying to make sure it doesn't blow out because without this source of light, you're never gonna make it out of this cave. You're never gonna get back to the surface, back to where you belong. As you read Genesis 4 through 11, it doesn't, it doesn't bode very well for that candle staying lit Right, the scripture goes on. It says, Abram went as the Lord had instructed. Lot went with him. 
Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Your descendants. That is your kids, Abraham. Well, Lord, I'm 75 and I don't have one kid yet from my wife, Sarah. And there's a reason that I don't have any children from Sarah yet, Lord, because Abram's wife was Sarah, but Sarah was unable to become pregnant and had no children. She was barren. The only way forward for the promise of God to save the world, I mean, if you think about just this, this unmistakable reality of a downward spiral towards death, hopelessness, the pain and suffering, the anger, the story of the whole world getting wrapped up into the curse, into sin and death. Feels like the, the dragon is devouring the promise of God. Seems like there's no way forward. Even Abraham, the only one left, the one who has to follow God out of idol worship in Babylon, the one who's already kind of sort of lost the plot of the original story, was probably worshiping the moon god of Babylon, we learned from Joshua. He suddenly hears the call of God, and he says, okay, I'm gonna go by faith. I'm gonna follow this. And the reality that we see heading into Genesis 12 if this is the promise of God that leads to life, if this right here is the promise, one day I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. One day I'm going to send the Messiah to save the entire world. And this is the curse that leads to death. Right here in the middle is the call. And it must be accepted, received. It must be taken hold of by faith. And even though there's a downward trajectory, Genesis 4 to 11 is, is leading and trending in one direction. There's still a promise of God that is leading to life. There's a call of God that Abraham hears and he clings onto it by faith. And God goes, watch this. I'm gonna do a miracle. I'm gonna change the trajectory of the entire world through you, Abraham. And what happened? Sarah got pregnant with Isaac. God provides what he promises. It's a step out, follow me. One day, your descendants are gonna inhabit this land. You're gonna be a great nation. All right, God, I believe you, but I just need a son. I need a daughter. I need, I need a descendant. Just follow me. Where are we going? Just follow me. How are you gonna do this, Lord? Just follow me. Marco! Polo, keep coming. Polo, keep coming. Just keep walking. Take the next step. By faith, I know it's hard. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you're getting called out of your comfort zone. I know you don't know where you're going, but trust me, as you walk by faith, uh, the blessing that I'm gonna release on your life is gonna lead to the blessing of the entire world. It's gonna lead to life for everyone. Abraham, keep going. Men and women of Hills Church, keep going, keep stepping. God is calling you out. He's calling you into something new and you have to trust today. He will provide what he promises. He will make provision for you along the way. 
How do we know that? How can we trust that? Because he already made provision. Jesus. He fulfilled his promise that he made to Adam and Eve. He fulfilled the promise he made to Abraham. Abraham truly was the father of faith and one day, thousands of years later, one of Abraham's descendants through the nation of Israel, which Abraham was the father of that nation, became the descendant, the offspring of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent that we heard about in Genesis 3. God never breaks a promise. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.